0: We have very, very few tickets remaining for the High Performance Tour coming to Edinburgh, Manchester, Birmingham and London in 2022, including special guests and they are great names as well. If you want to get your hands on the few remaining tickets, just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com and click on Live Tour. That's thehighperformancepodcast.com and click on Live Tour. Welcome to High Performance, our gift to you for free, Every single week. This podcast turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So today, allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers and entrepreneurs to be your teacher. Today, this is on its way.
1: The desire to have an answer to the question of of how good can you be. It's always driven me because I've never, ever wanted to look back and think, what if? So I've always been prepared to to try and to explore and and to pivot in my life because maybe I've been compelled by the, the fear of not knowing. For me, the fear of not knowing how good I can be is worse than the fear of the unknown that you might leap into. I realized firsthand the beauty of the world around me, but I also saw abject poverty and deprivation, and it was that that ignited something in me. This childhood passion for driving positive change ignited this passion in me the beauty of racing is precisely because it doesn't go according to plan. It's because you have to hurt. It's because you have to suffer. And I see that as part of racing. That's what I loved about racing. The unexpected, the yes. discomfort, the, the self-doubt. It's it's the challenge of having to deal with that, that that I loved. So I expected it and I I embraced it. Your definition of success has got to come from within and that sense that, that you have given something everything life is the difficulty isn't it Mm. it's the frustration and the challenge and therein lies the beauty beauty.
0: this episode is not just about someone who's dedicated their life to learning it's someone who wants to pass that on as well um you're about to hear from a four-time Ironman triathlon world champion. You're going to hear from a woman who had injuries so severe her coach said she shouldn't be on the start line in 2011 when she went on to win the world title she worked as a government advisor she's been involved with part run for years she's now a parent she was the 2009 sportswoman of the year and she's about to share everything with you from the amazing highs she experienced to serious lows and there will be so much in this episode that you can relate to once again please let me just make it so clear what high performance is about we're not having a conversation with Chrissy Wellington so that you can go and become an Ironman triathlete we're having a conversation with Chrissy Wellington because the things that she learned, the mistakes that she made, the lessons that she gained, she's about to share with you so that you can find a way to incorporate those into your life. It's a brilliant conversation. It's an amazing episode. And please, 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 a thousand times over, when you've finished it or when there's something that really resonates with you, if you could share it on social media, it makes the world of difference to us. It just means that people who've never heard of high performance have never had this kind of inspiration in their lives might just come across it and it might just change their life as well. So please, if you can, pass and share the conversation with as many people as possible, whether it's on your socials or on a work email or on a WhatsApp group, we don't mind. But if you can pass it on, we're eternally grateful. An awesome conversation with Chrissy Wellington So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part, they're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing.
0: Joining us today is a phenomenon, the only triathlete, male or female, to have won the world championship less than a year after turning professional. However, not even that was enough. Our world record holding guest also competed over the Ironman distance, which is just a 2.4 mile swim, then a 112 mile bike ride, followed by a marathon. And won all 13 races, also becoming a four-time Ironman World Champion, awarded an MBE in 2010, an OBE six years later for services to sport and charity. She's now the global lead for health and well-being for Parkrun. And in 2021, she released two brilliant children's well-being storybooks, which little Florence and Sebastian, my children, really enjoy. She created them with her friend and former athlete, Susie Bush-Ramsey. They're entitled You're So Strong and You're So Amazing. So I thought we would start this podcast episode with a quote from one of her books, true strength does not come from being greater than others, but by being the very best you can be. And she certainly proved to be exactly that. It's a real pleasure to welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Chrissy Wellington. Thank welcome you. along.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Chrissy, what is high performance?
1: To me, high performance is not a noun. It's a way of acting and a way of being. And if I were to answer that question succinctly, I think it would be to bring your best self to every moment, be willing to learn and to act with self-integrity.
0: Very nice. So you came to the world of elite sport quite late, 30 years old when you had a big change and decided to go professional and, and compete. So was that kind of high performance mindset something that you'd already had for many years before that? Or was it the world of sport that helped you create it?
1: I've always been a very driven, determined person. I've always been incredibly curious about myself, um, my potential, and I've also been incredibly curious about the world around me. And initially I, I channeled all of that into my academic studies. So I I really wanted to excel academically, achieve the highest grades possible and, and go to university. I was also driven by this compulsion to see how good I could be. So I think I've always had that Insatiable desire to to explore and explore my own potential, but it like you said, it wasn't until I was in my my late twenties, early thirties that I channeled that into the sporting context. Mm. Prior to that, it was uh, largely academia.
4: So where does that come from, then, Chrissy? That desire to want to excel.
1: It's always something that's be- been re- really, really instinctive. I don't know where it's come from, I I don't think it's ever been the result of an external pressure. I think it's always been an an internal compulsion and something that I've always felt very, very strongly. I I, I don't recall ever having that external pressure from from my parents, for example, to to perform academically. It was also always something that was very much driven from within and and that... (sighs) the desire to have an answer to the question of, of how good can you be? It's mm. always driven me because I've never ever wanted to look back and think what if, so I've always been prepared to, to to try and to explore and, and to pivot in my life because maybe I've been compelled by the, the fear of not knowing for me, the fear of not knowing how mm. good I can be is worse than the fear of, the unknown that you might leap into.
0: So here's something that I think a lot of our listeners often struggle with, which is knowing how to find their limit, knowing when they have reached their absolute peak. How, how did you come to work out, right, that's my limit, that's as good as I can be? How did you judge yourself?
1: For me in the sporting context, it was always an iterative process. I would definitely not claim to be the most confident person. I certainly wasn't imbued with this strong sense of of self-belief, but like I said, I was imbued with this this willingness to to try and to explore. So for me, building confidence, building self-belief was very much an iterative process. And it's when you, you do that, that you realize that you can shift the needle a little bit for yourself. You can raise the bar, you can test your limits. You realize they weren't where you thought they were and 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 you raise them again. So for me, sport was about testing my limits and, and realizing I was capable of, of so much more than I ever thought. But I, I didn't do that independently of the world around me. I, I was privileged and blessed to be surrounded by so many people, and some of whom could see me when I couldn't see myself. I often wonder, and maybe Damien, you have an answer to this: how does someone become world champion without ever having that as a goal, at least at the outset. So I became world champion without ever aspiring to, at least initially. And I believe it's, it's that process of curiosity and that willingness to put, your, put one foot in front of the other, to test yourself, to move yourself forward and to very much invest in in the process yep. without having the clarity of the goal but then also being surrounded by people like i said that can see your talent and your skills when you can't even see them for yourself and maybe create a plan for you that you execute without ever knowing what the intended outcome yeah. is
4: i find it fascinating in terms of how you described that process that you did it because what Equally fascinates me Chrissy, is is the curiosity that you adopted say outside of sport when you you traveled and you you took two years uh, mm. off from uh, before you went to university is that right to travel?
1: I went to university I went to the University of Birmingham and I did geography and I graduated having achieved my you know the the grades that I had aspired to and I was desperate for a vocation. In retrospect, I was desperate for validation. I was desperate for a label. I was doing something because I felt I ought to, and I chose to go in into law, and it appealed to to some of you know the the, the um, skills and qualities and, and traits that I that I had. And I signed for a law firm in London, um, but knew I wanted to take a gap year, so they um, agreed that I could do a gap year. And it was when I was traveling, I started traveling in Africa. And it was there that for the very first time I realized firsthand the beauty of the world around me. But I also saw abject poverty and deprivation. And it was that that ignited something in me. This childhood passion for driving positive change ignited this passion in me. It was there in Africa that I I felt the spark of this purpose this life purpose and so instead of going back to do law I carried on traveling so what should have been nine months traveling became two years and then I came back and did my MA in in development economics in international development up in Manchester and I think for me that was the first time I ever ever stepped off the path I realized at that point I'd been performing and conforming at life doing what was expected of me yeah. as someone who was you know academically strong but it wasn't in line with my inner purpose and so I pivoted I stepped off the path and I came to my first career which was international development.
4: See what's interesting is when you say that was the first time you'd stepped off the path that where you were traveling though was off the beaten path in many ways Once it you weren't doing a gap year up the coast in Australia or where lots of your peers would have been, you would go into parts of the world that required you to be brave and go off-piste a little bit.
1: It was stepping off the path. I think whenever you take what some would perceive as a risk, it, it's often a, a managed risk. You, you, you manage some of the problems that you perceive you, you might encounter. But for me, I've always felt incredibly supported by my environment to explore so my parents have always supported my insatiable kind of curiosity to, to explore, whether it's explore different activities and explore different places. And I certainly didn't grow up in a, you know, in a wealthy environment, but they, they gave me every opportunity that, that they could. But I've always had, ever since I was very young, this appetite to understand the world around me and to experience it. I, you know, a child of the eighties, grew up with images of the Ethiopian famine and and it gripped the public consciousness and I was 7 I guess at, at the time and I was really really impacted by that and I had this desire to to understand and explore the world even back then so I think me me journeying and me traveling was was part of that desire to to seek some some answers to the questions and and to find out about a world beyond my own borders.
0: What I find interesting is that, obviously, you're someone that wanted to explore and you wanted to explore your own physical ability as well as explore the world around you and understand things. But that isn't enough to make you a world champion, just wanting to explore. So where where did the high performance constant... I mean, I can't even imagine the pain that you put yourself through trying to train to do an Ironman triathlon. Where did that side of you come from, do you think?
1: I was open to the possibility of trying new things. And I think sometimes we close ourselves off from the unknown because we're scared. It's Mm. easy to sit in your comfort zone and it's harder to step out of it. And when someone suggested I try a triathlon, instead of saying, well, I did say this, I've never ridden a road bike, but i was still open to the idea, yeah. but I'd never ridden a road bike. I was open to that possibility. And that was preceded by me kind of segueing into running um, at a very, very amateur level and kind of cutting my teeth in endurance sports through, through you've done running. A marathon, is that right? I did yeah. the London I did yeah. the London Marathon. I was inspired by a friend. She'd grown up with a heart defect and had run the London Marathon. And I looked at her and I looked at me with my fully functional heart, and I'm like, what? What is stopping me? Why? And we're all inspired by people around us, right? And she was my role model and my inspiration, and so I, I trained in a very unknowledgeable and unstructured way for the London Marathon. But again, I, I tested my limits and realized I was capable of so much more than I thought. And the same with triathlon. So I was open to the possibility of doing a triathlon. I had an environment around me in that I joined a triathlon club. So They facilitated that. They lent me equipment, all all of the things you need. And I think long story very short, I was able to tap into a talent, a physiological talent that I didn't know I had. So I think I had that physiological aptitude for endurance sports that had I never done them, I never would have known, and it would have laid dormant. But I don't need to tell you, it's not enough to be physically Talented. And I think all of the traits I mentioned before that the drive, the determination, the willingness to be curious, this inner competitiveness and out competitive with others, all of those traits that I channeled into academia, I then brought to bear in, in professional sport. But I really had to hone the psychological side of things, I think, in order to achieve success. That's where I give credit to the people around me because they enabled me to get a handle on, on the psychological side, which enabled me to become a high-performing athlete that was capable of executing consistently and, and achieving more than I ever, ever thought I was capable of.
4: Which is something that I'd, I'd like to explore, but I think there's a psychological trait that you've brushed over this, Chrissy, that, that intrigues me. You've spoken about this being openness to it. But there was incidents that happened in your life, like you had a bike accident, didn't you? And that was what precipitated you then trying triathlon, is that right?
1: That's true. I've had many bike accidents, Damien, right. in my life. I'm techno- technically incompetent on the bike, which is largely why I chose Ironman, because I don't have to ride in a pack. I can just ride on my own 10 meters in front or 10 meters behind someone else. But yes, I was training for the London Marathon. I was just commuting. I lived in London. I was commuting on my bike and I, I came off came off the bike, couldn't run the London Marathon. So thought, right, instead of running i'll try swimming i'd grown up swimming um from my local club so i started swimming again so that's where i gained you know but it was the ability
4: to pivot and see an accident like that rather than stopping you doing what you wanted it just merely opened up another door to explore
1: i try not to let problems or adversity or setbacks derail me because i see it as part and parcel of the journey and that's easy in retrospect but if I look back at my life many of the opportunities that I've had have come from when I have pivoted and I've done something different or I've encountered a a setback or discomfort or adversity because they've been the opportunities to grow in an area that I may ever not have envisaged.
0: Mm. So could you share the some of the tools that you learned for how to deal with adversity, because that even people that listen to this, who have got great plans. It can often be the adversity that derails them and they can't get back on track.
1: No matter who we are, we encounter adversity. If we look what we've all been through in the past year, we've all, all had to adapt and change and cope with things that we may not have imagined. And, and, and people are coping with a loss of career or, you know, unfortunately, you know, death of loved ones. And we're, we're, we're all having to cope with adversity. If I look to sport and I look to the race that I did, I see it as a microcosm of life. And and an endurance sport, it's very easy to do that because it's long and you've got highs and you've got lows. So if I think to how I coped with the the lows, how I coped with the pain, the discomfort, the self-doubt, the questioning, I think first and foremost, I expected it and I embraced it. So I don't go into my life. I don't go into a race not expecting everything to go perfectly. Why is it
0: important to expect it?
1: Because then it doesn't, you don't panic, you're not anxious when it doesn't go according to some kind of utopian plan that you have. So if I go into a race thinking it's going to go like this, this, this and this and this and then I'll cross the finish line victorious, it's just not going to happen because that's not racing. Racing, mm. the beauty of racing is precisely because it doesn't go according to plan. It's because you have to hurt. It's because you have to suffer. And I see that as part of racing. That's what I loved about racing. The unexpected, the yeah. discomfort, the, the self-doubt. It's it's the challenge of having to deal with that that, that I loved. So I expected it and I, I embraced it, um, first of all. I always tried to segment... The race into into portions, and I think that that's really important. So if we face adversity, we a mountain to climb. Mm. You know that old analogy, it can be incomprehensible. But if we, like I did in an Ironman, just you know segment it into 200 meters in the swim. Yeah, then I've got to get to that boy. Then I've got to get onto the bike. Then I've got to do this 40k, this 40k. I just segment it down, and I very much try and. Stay in the moment, and, and like we said at the outset, bringing your best self to that moment. I try and disassociate, so I take myself off to a place that's a bit more pleasurable. So I have a bank of really positive images, or songs, right. or poems, or Was mantras. Rudyard Kipling, Rudyard and- <laughs> Kipling's if I still carry this dogged copy around with me.
0: Um, Would you use but- those in the heat of battle? Yes. So what would you just recite the poem?
1: It's even written on my water bottles, Jake. Part of my preparation was to to write Rudyard Kipling's If on my my water bottles and the one I had before I went into the swim. It was a meditative process for me and I could internalise the words. um, And there's also a bit of superstition because once you do it once and you've won a race, you've got to do it again. Um, And then I also really enjoyed giving that water bottle to someone at, at the start of the race. That meant something to me because it was my way of giving something of me to the crowd. So yes, I, I literally took those words with me. Um, Can you
0: describe what it would do for you when you started to read it or you, or you focused on it?
1: It reminds me to keep perspective. That poem's really important to me because as a, as an athlete, as I was increasingly as as a winning athlete, there's a lot of expectation around you being on top of the podium at every race Mm. and it taught me that I'm the same person whether or not I I win or win or lose triumph and disaster treating them Both uh, both the same it taught me to make the most of every moment and every line of that poem has something to teach me yeah but just going back to the the adversity for me, it's always really important to recollect times in the past where i've I've overcome things, not just in a sporting yeah. context, but and how others have too. I remember going into my what was my final race, and I read Sir Steve Redgrave's autobiography, and just knowing what he'd achieved maybe because of, not even despite of, the setbacks he'd had, yeah. what he'd achieved because of those setbacks, I think, it empowered me to think that maybe I could do so too. So I think that power of recollection and knowing that we've overcome in the past is, is really, really important as well.
4: And how much would you draw on your experiences when you were in Nepal, when you were still working for, was it DEFRA at the time? You saw, like, crushing poverty, you saw people with nothing making the best out of life how much would you go back to your own biography and draw on those kind of things for perspective
1: my time in nepal shaped me as a person and definitely shaped me as an athlete so i i was working as a policy advisor to the government and another point of or maybe a fork in the road you could call it i i stepped off the path again and and went to live and work in Nepal, so it wasn't part of my job at DEFRA. Oh, right. I took a sabbatical okay. and I went to work for a Nepali organization working on water and sanitation and health projects. And if I was to summarize what Nepal gave me in one word, it's perspective. You realize how much you have relative to others and, and how fortunate we are to live mm. the, the life that that we lead. And <laughs> you know, I, I saw resilience and, and tenacity firsthand. And, and for me, that was incredibly inspiring. But, you know, on a very personal level, it was really the first time I challenged myself physically and, and really created the physical foundations for um, what would would become a professional sporting career. And people often think, that I came from nowhere as a sports person. But I think everyone comes from somewhere and you're shaped by all of these amazing experiences in your life. And some athletes, your Serena Williams, your Tiger Woods, your David Beckhams, take a more conventional, stereotypical path. And I certainly didn't travel that path, but I travelled a path. And I think for me, it enabled me to achieve what I did. So I was very much shaped by by my time in, in Nepal and, and what I saw and what I worked on. And it also taught me a lot about shaping change and how local people can be the agents, should be the agents of, of change rather than it being imposed from above. So I've carried that kind of belief and understanding and philosophy through to what I do in, in, in my career now. And that was a really important learning for me.
0: I think there's also a lot of really important learnings for people listening to this. And I think one of the big takeaways for me is that I kind of exhaust myself saying to people, Just by employing what seem like insignificant tricks, you can make a real difference to your own life trying to achieve high performance. And, you know, we've just spoken about writing a poem on the side of a water bottle. It's not the only reason you became a world champion. Of course it isn't, but it was quite a big part of that journey towards becoming a champion. I just think it's really important for people to listen to this and understand that when you write down something or when you take inspiration from a, a trip to Nepal or putting a a poem somewhere or having something in your house that really resonates with you. I think, I don't think we do it enough as people. I think that we just assume, well, it's just words, it's just a poem. Finding the ability to translate that into something that's inspiring. You are sort of the epitome of how powerful that can be.
1: It's been really useful to me in my life. And it's also been really useful to have that why, to have an understanding. It's not enough to have a goal. I think the goal... I guess to have soul needs to have a why. And I, I think that why needs to come from within. And that why can can change and it and, and it has done has done for me. But that in a why, um, I've always tried to have an answer to that and that's been really useful for me in, in helping me shape my life and direct my life and, and maybe helping me perform so what to was my it then, potential. Chris?
4: So when you were competing, what was it and what and how has it shifted to today?
1: my why was always has always been to see how good I can be to answer that question of myself to feel like I've fulfilled a potential, that's quite nebulous, isn't it? Because as soon as you get to that point where well, there there's more t- there's more to achieve. But to to answer that question of how good can you be at that sport of triathlon. But my life purpose, I think, to drive positive change. So for me, sport was a means to a greater end. It it wasn't an end in itself. It's uh, sport's a really selfish pursuit, isn't it? It's just all about you and, and what you want to achieve. But you can make it less selfish and, and you can achieve something more by by using it to inspire or to convey messages and, and and to impact others in a really positive way. So I think they those were my two whys. But I retired having answered the first question. And that that was very liberating for me.
4: And what was the answer you found?
1: I found it in the final race that I did and it taught me that I could achieve more than I ever thought possible. And it taught me that my perfect race was when I overcame imperfections perfectly. And so that race was certainly not perfect in the way I pre- was able to prepare or the way I prepared. And it was certainly not perfect in quotation marks in terms of it wasn't without pain and, and discomfort. But for me, it was my perfect race because it was the battle within myself that I had craved it was the battle with my competitors that I'd wanted and I crossed that finish line I felt really complete as an athlete and we're driven by these extrinsic motivations aren't we Uh, all of us but but athletes especially by the number of victories you know the number of world championships you're going to win or, or the world records, but it's all ephemeral because someone will come along and they'll, you would have won four and they'll win five and you'll go eight hours, 18 and they'll go eight hours, 17. And your definition of success has got to come from within. And that sense that, that you have given something, everything. Yeah. And that race gave me that gift. And I knew intuitively that it was it was the time to retire. So I'd, I'd maybe answered that that question of the why question.
4: I can see some really interesting parallels there. From you said you went on the academic pathway of wanting to excel, and you'd been to university in Birmingham and then Manchester, and then decided to step off that path. Could you see the parallels with that at the end of your triathlon career that you felt like you got to the end of that journey and wanted to step off?
1: It's different incarnations of life, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And and once you've stepped off the path, you grow in confidence and you grow in self-belief. And it's that power of recollection because you know if you've done it in the past and it's been an opportunity that you can do so again. So. I don't really call it retiring because you're not retired in the sense you're putting your feet up. But transitioning away from professional sport was easy. It certainly wasn't. It was fraught with challenges for me psychologically. But I knew instinctively that it was the right thing to do. And I guess to your point, it, it didn't scare me because yep. I knew I'd done it many times. I'd stepped off the path many times in my life and I knew intuitively that it was the right thing to do but it's certainly not easy and and you've had many guests on this podcast that have have spoken about that you know you 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 question who you are and your sense of identity and you have no structure and 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 no no focal point in you know anchor for, for your life you know obviously your financial security as a professional athlete is is wedded to to your income from that from that sport and so a lot of things are brought into question but that's precisely why I needed to do it because for me sport was a comfort zone it was where I was comfortable not physically comfortable because it hurt but (laughs) psychologically quite comfortable and you know I, I I was blessed to have commercial Partner sponsors that, you know, gave me financial security. I was, I was winning. I had a great team around me. I had that single minded focus on, on this goal, but that's very comfortable, isn't it? And so I knew I need, if I was to grow and develop, I knew I needed to step off the path and, and it was very uncomfortable for a time.
0: And how important were the tools you learned about resilience in professional sport in helping you get through that period?
1: very important knowing that i can withstand discomfort and pain and, and and being uncomfortable is something that you can carry with you in in any walk of life sport is is a, a great teacher isn't it and and it it taught me that i could be resilient but i also gained that resilience from others around me and i was really it was really important for me to have uplifting supportive people around me that that could help me navigate this, you know, the new life that that I had to live. So it wasn't something I, I, I kind of worked through independently. But for me, a lot boiled down to being comfortable with being uncomfortable, being comfortable with a void. Often we need that mm. clarity of an answer, don't we? Where are you going? What is your goal? Where, you know, where are you heading? What's your plan? And I didn't know. I didn't know and I didn't have the answer and that's quite scary because I'm quite a structured regimented person and I needed to know and I needed to know if I wasn't doing sport what was I going to do and I had this label you know when you go to America and and you fill out your form and what's your occupation and I went to the states in 2012 and I didn't know what to write that was quite disconcerting
0: but well, it's the first me. thing everyone ever asks, isn't it? Oh, nice to meet you. What do you what, do? What
1: do you do? Because oh. we're a society that loves a label and you're defined yeah. by that label and you define yourself by that that label. So if I wasn't Chrissy Wellington, four-time world champion, what was I? Well, mm. the truth of the matter is I was the same person before I was an athlete, when I was an athlete, and, and afterwards, I was the same person, but I just needed to find a
2: new why. Planning for your next trip?
4: What did you find then when you started to ask these uncomfortable questions and I'm no longer an athlete so why do I exist? What's my purpose?
1: I think a lot of us go through that Damien yeah. and it's hard to find what your passion is. People ask me how do you find what your passion mm. is? The only answer I have is, is to explore and to try and that's what I tried to do. So I tried to be open to possibilities. I knew that I didn't have the answers. So I just had to be open to possibilities. So I had to try and say yes. I had to try and open doors, but walk through doors that were were opened for me. I spoke to a lot of people. I tried to to learn. I tried to read a lot. And I do believe life is a series of kind of serendipitous encounters. And I don't. I, you do make your own luck to some extent but it was through I think talking to people being still and being open to opportunities that I was able almost I guess to come full circle because I came back to what that purpose was when I was that seven-year-old girl watching images on the tv of the Ethiopian famine of wanting to drive positive change so if my my purpose is to ignite a fire a constructive fire and drive positive change then how could I do that and with this passion for physical activity I knew I wanted to combine those two things so how do I drive positive change in the sphere of of enabling people to become more active understanding that helped guide me and brought me into contact with a number of people. And then I was fortunate to, to have a door that opened to me to become um, an employee for Parkrun. So I think it was just going back to, to, to looking at what my, yeah. my purpose was.
0: And I'm so pleased you mentioned the passion thing as well, because I think one of the really common mistakes people make these days is when they think, well, someone recommends I do this or I feel I should do that, but I'm not sure I'm passionate about it. I'm a firm believer that you have to give it a go and see whether the passion starts to emerge. I I think we're we're stuck in... It's so common, isn't it, in society? Oh, don't do that unless you're passionate about it. Well, how am I going to know if I'm passionate about it until I start on the journey?
1: You just try. Yeah. Because you'll find joy, talents that you may never known that you had 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 you not been open to that opportunity. So just having a willingness to try is is really important and then being intuitive to your point about you know we're bombarded society tells us that we're flawed and that there are products out there that can fix us but I think if we look deep inside we know what excites us and so if we're open to trying new things and then we listen to what that inner voice tells us I think often we have that answer that we're seeking.
0: Do you know why I like what you just said? is because we now get a lot of comments from people saying, oh, I've listened to the High Performance Podcast. Your podcast has helped me change my life. It's, it's changed everything for me. And I, I always have the same emotion when I read those messages, which is that the High Performance Podcast hasn't really helped you change your life at all. You've helped you change your life. We were just sort of having conversations that started that. And I think it's really yep. you're so right. We all feel like the answer has to be given to us from somewhere else in society. But even just listening to a conversation like this I hope reminds people that it is already there they just have to kind of somehow switch it on and sometimes as you said the best thing to do is to be still and just see what what happens
1: and listen to it it takes Try bravery though, doesn't matters, it it takes courage matters to you but i think there's also a fear jacob of, of being wrong of doing something wrong yeah. of making a mistake and that yep. fear especially in our society is debilitating you know fear of ridicule fear of what people might think you know fear of failure failure, whatever it's debilitating but for me that that the biggest failure to my mind is is not trying that's I would berate myself if I didn't give it a go because then I'd then I'd never know
0: so interesting so where did the idea come from or what was the reason for the children's books was it this infinite purpose you have for passing on to the next generation or do you feel that there are messages that we need to s- give our young people in a certain way that they can absorb them
1: tom and i um have a five-year-old daughter and my friend susie has has two children and we wanted to use the books as a way of conveying the messages that we want to impart to our children the mm-hmm. lessons that we've learned from our lives journeys that we want to share with our children and that we hope will resonate with with children and and adults alike and the aim of the the books is to ignite that that spark in someone that spark that that mm. you spoke about um to impart really simple suggestions for how people can improve their own health and improve their well-being and gaining confidence and live fuller, richer lives. And the books are very simple. They're based on what nature can teach us. So it's yeah. a, a girl um, talking to a flower and a brother and a sister talking to a, t- a tree. And it's it's using nature. It's conveying those messages through the medium of, of nature. And for us, it was really important that all children and adults could identify with the characters in the book. So they're deliberately drawn in black and white and they're deliberately drawn so you can't see the faces of the children. Um, Susie's children are mixed race and she especially felt really strongly that she wanted to create a books, books that, that were open and accessible to everybody with I guess were as as inclusive as as we could possibly make them, so that's why they're they're drawn in a really kind of simple monochrome way.
4: So, Chrissy is a father of two young children, and 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 Jake's got two young children himself. What kind of questions or suggestions should we be asking our children that could ignite that spark of curiosity?
1: I think first and foremost we have to to role model behaviours. So if if we as as their parents are are open to opportunities, if we can do positive people, then there's a greater chance that our children will try and emulate those behaviors. I try not to set limits on what we think Esme can achieve. Obviously, you've got to manage risk as, as a parent, but I think sometimes we can be too risk averse A few weeks ago, we, myself and my husband, we were in in Wales, and we thought it would be a great challenge as a family to try and climb Snowdon. And someone said, do you think Esme can do that? She's only five. And my response was, we need to give her the opportunity to try. Because it's not for me as her parent to decide what she can and can't do, what she is and isn't capable of we just need to give her the opportunity to try and be willing to accept that she she might not be able to, and that's okay too. But to determine, you know, a priori that she can't do something is is very limiting. So I think just giving your children the opportunity to try things and take take managed risks is is really important.
0: How uh, how did she go?
1: It was one of the proudest moments of my life when we got to the top of snowden bribed by percy pigs and and (laughs) chocolate that was that was just tom and and, and me (laughs) but it was it was wonderful because we were apprehensive about her getting tired or whinging and it being incredibly painful and having to drag her up and sitting her on our shoulder you know our shoulders And it wasn't like that at all. So all of those fears that Mm. we had about what she might do didn't come to to fruition. But if we'd let those fears about what might happen stop us, we never would have done it. So again, a small kind of example, but you've got to be open to that that possibility and and that, that opportunity.
0: And by the way, that's not just people with kids, is it? How often do people write stories in their heads about what's going to happen at the job interview on their big day? when they go for a doctor's appointment, whatever it might be that's in the future, we always make these stories up, don't we? Rather than actually waiting to see what happens. I think before we go on to the quickfire questions to finish with, I think the only thing I really just want to touch on with you is that people see you and they think, wow, what an incredible life. You know, you travelled, you saw desperate poverty that obviously lit a fire and inspired you. And then you had the wherewithal and the bravery and the confidence... And the fearlessness at 30 to decide to get into elite level sport. And it wasn't just any old elite level sport. It was triathlons, which by and large, you can't get psychologically or physically more challenging than that. And then you managed to become the best in the world at what you were doing. That looks really easy. And I think it's probably an important message to tell people that I would imagine this journey has not been necessarily easy and possibly even continues not to be easy. But just because it isn't easy doesn't mean that it isn't good for you.
1: It's not psychologically easy, and and professional sports certainly wasn't physically easy. And I never want to give the impression that it was. It was arduous, hard graft every single day you know I dedicated my my life to it and it was challenging for me psychologically in, in in many ways I had to you know grapple with some demons or what I you know try and 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 control a lot of self-criticism and and self-doubt and and that was incredibly challenging so for me it was a, a physical test and it was a a psychological test But that's what made it so (laughs) incredible. I learned so much from professional sport. It it gifted me with so many things and an understanding of myself, an appreciation for the power of possibility, the gift of relationships (laughs) with so many, so many people that that I came into contact with. It wasn't an easy journey, and life still isn't an easy journey journey it's fought with difficulties but life is the difficulty isn't it Mm. it's the frustration and the challenge and therein lies the beauty
4: so can i just ask you a question about the demons that you described Mm. there what form did they take what was the demons form of attack on your self-confidence or your esteem
1: i'm prone to being very very self-critical And I'm sure a lot of people you speak to can talk to this because Mm. it's a double-edged sword. It's what drives you because you're critical because you're saying you're never, never enough, but then you're never enough, which is a really challenging place to be mentally. I credit my first coach with helping me to address some of these. So these, I, I guess I wouldn't say flaws, but they, they risked derailing me as, as an athlete because I, I was so self-questioning and so self-critical. So I mean, his advice to me was very simple, is I give the order, you execute. And he was a very authoritarian character, um, which again has its, has its pros and cons. So he gave me the order for the day. I executed the training session to the best of my ability. And that was enough and just knowing that liberated me because he took the decision-making and the questioning of whether or not I had done a, a good job, whether or not I'd been enough in that training session or not, away from me. Mm. I, I simply just executed his, his order. And I think it speaks to focusing on, on that process and bringing your best yep. self to, to every moment. And it's not whether, you do, whether you're good or bad. It, it just, it is. It's your best self in every moment, and that's what is, and then you move on.
4: So when you moved on from that coaching relationship and you moved to other coaches, did those demons come back That or had you put them to bed?
1: I think he enabled me to be a lot less self-critical and more self-accepting, and so I could carry that lesson through to my Great. next coach and my next coach was an, an entirely different character I went from a very authoritarian coach to being coached by someone who I who I consider a friend it was a lot more reciprocal for me a lot more empowering and as you evolve as an athlete what you need from a coach is, is different what you need at the outset of your career can be very very different a few years on and I transitioned away from one coach to the other but I certainly carried the lessons that I'd learned from my first coach to my second.
4: And has that helped today since you've left triathlon behind how do you deal with those that self-doubt those demons that you just described
1: i have wonderful people around me that are enriching and positive and i think that's really important i try to live a life of gratitude and be grateful for what i have and see the cup half full rather than the cup half empty so i'm I'm prone to, at the end of the day, thinking about what I haven't done, what I haven't managed yeah, to do in yeah. this busy day of mine rather than what I have. So it's pivoting. We spoke about pivoting that thought. So instead of focusing on what I haven't done, I fo- well, I think, well, I have done this and I, and I have done this right. and, and that's okay. But I think ultimately it's accepting, like with life that's got its ups and downs and its goods and bads. And I'm like that too. Yeah. I'm not this perfect, infallible human that's not without flaws or self-doubt or neuroses, but that's, that's me.
0: I also like what you said about just being the best you can be rather than the perfect you. And that's the, that, acca- mm. that accounts for the good days, the bad days, when you're flying, when you're struggling. I think just, if you can just finish and go, oh, I did the best I could, man. That's so much yeah. more than asking whether you were perfect or not, honestly.
1: I my mean, Susie, my co-author, often says you're never more valuable than you are in this moment. And that's the line, one of the lines in the book. Because it doesn't mean you can't strive mm. to be better, but you're valuable as, as you are right now. And, and I'm trying to live my life like that. <laughs> that's
0: wonderful. Really Such a nice way to finish. We always finish, though, with our quick fire questions. The first one is your three non-negotiables that you and the people around you have to buy into.
1: There's non-negotiable behaviors that I have for myself. I've become a lot more accepting of, of others and differences in others. So I don't think there are non-negotiable behaviors that I would necessarily expect from others, but I, for myself, an acceptance of um, forgiveness of myself and others, humility and respect respect for myself and, and respect for, for other people.
4: What advice would you give to a teenage Chrissy just starting out?
1: The advice that my father gave me, and that was seize every opportunity and make a mark on the world for all the right reasons.
0: Wow. I think we can say you did that, right? Yeah, I think we can say you did <laughs> that. What would you say is your biggest strength and what is your greatest weakness?
1: My greatest weakness is that I'm prone to being quite self-critical. And my biggest strength is my, my passion and my enthusiasm and my willingness to bring the best of myself to every mm. moment and everything I do.
4: Would you give us one book recommendation for our listeners that has
0: had a big impact on you?
1: Can it be a poem?
0: Definitely. Oh, yeah.
1: Rajar Kipling's If.
0: And the final question, your, your sort of, your final message, I guess, to people listening and watching this, your... One golden rule to living a high-performance life.
1: Bring the best of yourself to every moment. Be willing to learn and live a life of integrity.
0: That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for your time. Thank you. Damien. Jake. What a what an inspiring conversation that was with Chrissy And You know, and this isn't me being negative about the things she said because the things she said were absolutely incredible. But I did get a sense while she was saying those amazing things that, you know, I want people to remember that just because you're a brilliant, high-achieving, successful person like she is, that doesn't make life easy all the time. And I think I got a sense of the fact that life has been and remains a challenge as it is for so many people.
4: Yeah, definitely. And I think what came through was the two Ps with Chrissy there. One was about how the power of a purpose, this sense of feeling that you're doing it for something bigger than yourself, whether it's being a platform for young girls to inspire them or representing some of the poorest parts of the world, how that can help you when you face these difficult times. And the second P was very much around um, perspective, being able to put it into some kind of perspective and know that there's always somebody that's going to be better than you, but there's somebody having it tougher than you and how that can often help you.
0: Yeah. And I'd like to throw a third P in there as well, which is the P of passion. And I think, you know, it's an eternal challenge for people, isn't it? What's my passion? What's my passion? I can't do something great till I find my passion. You know, she has lived a life of passion because she's lived a life of exploration. And only when we explore, do we really discover things. When we discover things, we grow. When we grow, we will grow into our passion.
4: Yeah. And if anyone needs evidence of that, she didn't sit on a bike until she was 27 years old. You know, that's, that's an incredible story of somebody that's got this latent talent that could have gone undiscovered unless you'd have had that exploration and that curiosity to want to go and try new things.
0: Thanks, Damien.
4: Thanks, Jake. I loved it.
0: Well, Damien, now we come to one of our favourite parts of any high-performance episode where we get to speak to the people that listen to the podcast. And I'm really, really pleased uh, to welcome Michael May, who reached out to us on Instagram. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? We're very well, thanks. Yeah, very well indeed. Happy New Year to you. Um, so would you mind, in the next sort of minute or so, just sharing with our listeners, you know, some of the key points that you sent us on on the message you, you pinged over?
3: Yeah, um, well, for the first... 30 odd years of my life, I was pretty much traipsing through life, um, wondering, uh, trying to cut every corner possible. Pretty selfish as well of a person. And then I had some uh, tragedy happen to me three, nearly three years ago now. My granddaughter got meningitis and ended up dying. She was four years old. And I'm a truck driver, and I needed something to take my mind away from things on my long drives. And I come across your podcast, and I realized that uh, there was some key points of things that would help me change for the better change my mindset change the way I look at outlook on things change me from going from why always me to why not me you know so it changed me completely really.
4: Well first of all Michael I mean I'm sorry to hear about your granddaughter what was her name? Uh, Evie. Well thank you for listening to the podcast and speak on behalf of all of us on the team that we're delighted it's played some part in helping you Is there any particular episode that that resonated with you during this period?
3: There's a few things. The first one was one that I hear Jake say quite a lot, which is take 100% responsibility. Um, That sort of resonated because I was always blaming other people. Uh, And when I sat back and looked on things, everything I was doing was my own fault. I will continue to make mistakes, but from now on, the the mistakes are going to come from a good place, from a kind place. And if I accept responsibility from it, then I've got to be happy with it. That was one of the first things I I, I I came across. Another one was, I think it was Johnny Wilkinson was saying that every task is as important as the other, which sort of changed my impression of the podcast altogether. Because at first I was thinking, oh, it's just famous, rich sportsmen, things like that. But then it was, no, it's tasks for any person can be as important as any person, really. And the other one was, I can't remember who said it, but we, and it was the biggest thing in my life was getting rid of energy leeches. People that suck energy out of your life and don't offer you anything in return. And after the death of my granddaughter, that was a big one for me.
0: How did you do that, Michael? Because lots of people listen to this podcast and they're kind of, they started the new year, they've got best intentions. They know that people are not good for them, but making the move to, Cut those people out of their lives is often difficult. What advice would you have?
3: Well, for me, it was easier. I just cut them out of my life. I never, I never got in touch with them because I knew they would never get in touch with me. They were that sort of people. Um, they, they only got in touch with me when they wanted something from me. So I knew that they wouldn't. Uh, and if they did ever get in touch with me, I would tell them. I would just be honest and I'd say, look, the one time I really needed someone to be there for me, there was nobody there for me. All the people that were there for me are still in my circle. So for me, it was quite easy. Because nothing will hurt as much as what I've gone through, so I just cut it. I cut it uh, quite bluntly, really.
4: And what difference have you noticed then in 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 your life since since you've started adopting some of these lessons you've heard on the podcast?
3: Um, well, it's it's everywhere from from my work. I'm, I'm putting more effort into my work, and I'm getting uh, more rewards out of it. My, my firm are treating me better because I'm working harder. I'm I'm, I'm trying to work two hundred percent all the time, trying to trying to put some pride into my work. The people I've got in my life care for me and want me to be in their life. I've got closer relationships with them now than before because of I'm putting more effort into them. And my relationships, I mean, I've got a fantastic partner as well who on the on the days where my mind doesn't take things the right way and I try and think, oh, is this happening? She'll she'll be the logical one next to me saying, no, no, think of it from this side. So I, I tend to rely on people more as well and listen to them more.
0: I love it. And uh, you know what I think is really important about this, Michael? You said at the beginning, you know, you felt that this podcast was about how to be a World Cup winner, how yeah. to be a billionaire, how to be a leader. How does that relate to me? And I think that is the big message we've got for everyone that listens to this podcast is it's about what we call, and you would have heard it no doubt, world-class basics. It's just about whatever your job is, whatever your relationship is like, whatever you eat for your dinner, whatever time you get out of bed, it's doing those things, isn't it? To absolutely the very best you can. It's as simple as that. And you're a living, breathing example of someone that's sort of happier for that.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I can't, I can't, I'm very bad at remembering who said what on your podcast, but there was like, I think it was Michelle Moan. She had a hard time and there was a couple of others that have had really hard times in the past, gone nearly bankrupt. And you know, I think, you know, it was things like that. I started thinking, oh, well, you know, you know, it's not just for the rich and the famous and another one that really resonated for me is from the kindness because I try and be kinder to people now and that was uh the Timpsons boss his was very good for for things like that I love this
0: I mean this for us Damien is so important isn't it you know you've got Michael driving his lorry listening to the podcast and it's this isn't just about it impacting Michael's life it's about it impacting his partner and his family and his friends and all of his colleagues as well it's about spreading that positivity out isn't it
4: yeah, the ripple effects are, are, can be endless. You know, the, the the people receiving your touch of kindness hopefully go on and pass on kindness in, uh, to their circle as, and beyond.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've made mistakes in the past with friendships, and I've probably lost friendships from it from the person I was because I was a very selfish and self orientated person. I mean, I'll, I'll continue to try and um, repair some of those and see if there's anything to go. But I mean, I won't always get it. I won't always get it right either. Everything I do from now on will come from a good place. I've got someone up there to try and make proud of me. Amazing.
0: And look, you know, we're incredibly sorry for your loss. It's another reminder, isn't it, Michael, that the things we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy and that some of the hardest things in our lives, eventually we will we will never want those things and they will always be hard for us, but they in some way won't be bad for us, you know?
3: Absolutely. I mean, she's had more impact in four years on this planet than I have in forty-seven. You know it's it's amazing the things that she's bringing out in people my 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 fiance had never run but she's done the marathon for meningitis now you know things like that you know she's had such a lasting impact on people at four years old it's unreal
0: and look thank you very much for coming on here and, and sharing your thoughts as well because it is one thing to just listen and learn but it's another to have the courage to come on here and discuss you know, the difficult stuff you've gone through, but also the great stuff that you've that you've experienced as well. So on behalf of the whole team, let me just tell you, Michael, to have this conversation with you at the start of a new year, you are the epitome of why we have created this podcast and we, why we continue to release these episodes. So thank you ever so much, man
3: oh no thank you thank you for your podcast jake i, I don't say it likely it did change things for me completely evie was the crux of it but i mean your podcast has given me lots of pointers to of, uh, of leading lights for, for the way i want to be in life so thank you as well and thank you damien
0: oh that was moving Mo- moving stuff damien but a good lesson for people listening to this that you know you can go through something as tragic as michael has and there are still areas to to learn and, and grow and develop and um, hard, so hard for him
4: yeah you know I think uh, yeah it, 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 it reminds me of that old quote from Harry Potter that you know even in the darkest of times we can find a light if we only remember to turn it on and I think sometimes we can look and we can find acts of kindness around us or support wherever we look for it and it's humbling that he found us in his darkest time
0: but also huge credit to him for for being able to have that mindset you know to be turning things around and trying to find the positive so um wow Michael thank you so much for coming on the pod and um you know I hope that if you're at home and you're still uh, you know questioning whether something like a podcast can have an impact on your life then maybe what you just heard from Michael should answer most of those questions um talking of impact Damien once again lots of people have been getting in touch with us so let's have a look through some of the messages that have been coming in Lots of people enjoyed our collaboration with Fern Cotton on Happy Place. Eric Dyer also getting a lot of love as well. Um, here's a question that came into us, Damien, from Simon on Instagram. He said, in your opinion, do you think it's possible to achieve feats of high performance without a certain amount of obsession? I've listened to Jake on the Chris Williamson podcast. I've also listened to your high performance chat with Johnny Wilkinson. And... I've decided that although I try not to obsess about things, I now question whether it's the lack of obsession, which is actually detrimental, or if reaching those high points to then only come down on the other side is an important part of the journey. Um, This person, Simon, also says, consequently, have you ever met or had people on the show who've come at it from the other side who perhaps weren't caught in the grip of perfection or obsession? What do you think, Professor? Well,
4: it's a brilliant question. Um i think i'd I'd rather reframe obsession into passion that we've seen with so many of our high performers that they genuinely love doing what they do, and I think when when they love doing it that what you find is that motivation comes from three three pillars so in the book that we had come out just before Christmas, we referenced the research of uh, edward d c and Richard Ryan, two psychologists that looked at passion and motivation, and what they found is. That can be created by three things, control, belonging, and a sense of doing something that you really care about. So the idea of working on something at a time and place that suits you, being surrounded by people that share similar interests, and focusing on something that really lights your soul on fire is how passion really starts to become ignited, and that sustains us through our journey to high performance.
0: And do you think it's also important to bring a bit of nuance into this conversation because it's like, you know, you're either committed or you're not. You're either passionate or you're not. You're either uh, obsessed or you're not. And actually obsession to a point can be a good thing but there you know there will be um people who are too obsessed and it impacts the relationship with their family or it impacts their downtime or their ability to relax and recharge their batteries or you know they don't see other people's point of view because they're so obsessed about themselves and their journey and where they're going I I think it's all about levels isn't it and a certain amount of obsession I would say absolutely is an important thing for chasing down that high performance life but a certain amount and having the kind of mental capacity to really look at it and think, is this level of um, all in that I'm showing actually a good level? Because there is also a point where obsession becomes the opposite of helpful, I think.
4: Yeah. I think it's a really smart point you're making, Jake. I think that whenever you hear anyone talk about either or you're either a winner or a loser, just be really careful for anyone listening to this, that the world as we know isn't binary and we view it through those simple black and white terms Instead, I think your phrase of levels or viewing it as a sliding scale is more appropriate. There'll be times where we are at one end of that scale and we're really committed. And there'll be times where we're maybe somewhere closer to the middle of it. And having the ability to travel along that scale is far more helpful for us than thinking that we're either all in or we're all out.
0: Good stuff. I hope that's helpful to you, Simon. Um, And I would just say to anyone listening to this, you know, Just be kind to yourself in the new year. So if you find at the moment you're suffering, that you're obsessed with a certain thing, um, maybe go with it for a bit. And just as Johnny Wilkinson has told us on this podcast, just explore that. Just allow yourself to be obsessed for one and see where it takes you. Equally, if you find that there is nothing at the moment that you're not obsessed with or you're not fully focused on, again, that's okay. Because when the right thing comes up at the right time and you're in the right place... I've no doubt it will happen. So just go easy on yourself, I think, Simon. Um, Question here saying, hi, Jake, hi, Damien. The phrase don't sit in the comfy chair is superb. I think it's really good advice, something that's helped me make a big decision professionally recently. However, I now want to make an even bigger leap. But then when I discuss it with my kids, they are dead against it because they're happy where they are. This then stops me making the leap and the change. My kids and my wife are the most important thing to me. So obviously... I take their opinion as most important where does that sit with don't sit in the comfy chair mindset that's uh richard and richard actually sent us an email about that one damien and that's interesting because he's obviously found the power of challenging himself and now fancies a little bit more but it's about taking into account the place you're in the people that are around you so uh, how would you answer that one
4: well i love that that phrase that your bo- first boss gave you Jacob. about not sitting in the comfy chair has resonated with him. I think that what he's getting is some really valuable feedback from the people close to him. There's a guy called uh, Dr. Wayne Dwyer talks about how we all exist in tribes. It goes back to the idea of survival is about the groups that we belong to. And what Richard's getting there is feedback from his tribe that says, you're moving too fast. You're going, you're taking too big a leaps for, for us to be able to come with you. Now, in his own words there uh, that you've just said, his family is the most important thing to him. So he needs to listen to that feedback and go at the pace of what they're comfortable at rather than just moving on and assuming that his pace is going to determine it for the rest of his tribe, in this case, his family.
0: And nothing's forever. So, you know, maybe have that conversation again with your family and in a few months' time, Richard, and just, and also monitor how you feel about not making that big leap, because it might be that, well, it's worth thinking about why you want to do it, first of all. It might be that you don't take the leap, and actually you find in two or three months you're really happy. But equally, if in two or three months you're a slightly grumpy dad or you're struggling in certain areas because you haven't gone for it, then I think it's time for another conversation with your family as well. And finally, Damien, I just want to share this. This is from Natalie on Instagram. Um, and she sent us a message. She says, I was tidying up my son's room today, and I found... <gasps> da, da, da. <laughs> A list of goals that he's written unprompted. He's 11 and it made me so proud of him and grateful that he's in a world where he has tools like the high performance podcast to listen to. I started putting the bite-sized episodes on in the car. No fuss was made. I was just giving them the opportunity to listen to some of the amazing insights from people they've never heard of. Thank you so much not only for the adults, but also from our future generations. Would you like to know what was on the list that she found? Yeah, go on. That's an amazing story. So nice. And it's, let me just describe it for people that are listening to this podcast. So it's like a small yellow notebook. You know, the ones with the little uh, metal circles at the top, like little ring bindery type things. And um, her 11-year-old son has written, in 2022, I will. I love that as well. Not I hope to, or I might. I will. Commitment. Improve my two and a half kilometre run. Do at least a a three-and-a-half-kilometre run, at least. So there you go. What do we talk about? Infinite purpose, at least a a three-and-a-half-kilometre run. It could go further. Improve my two-and-a-half-kilometre run. Again, you can improve it all year long. Get in the school football team. Eat better. And I love this. Climb a few mountains. Oh, lovely. I get the impression Natalie's son will climb a few mountains this year and for the rest of his life. I mean, that, that for us is everything, though, isn't it? The fact that Natalie is just popped on a bite-sized episode hasn't sort of said anything to her kids like you must listen to this you must enjoy it but just they're there and you know you can take from it what you will and it's clear that her son is taking a great deal
4: well again like Clive Woodward talks about you can either be a rock or a sponge with this information and it's obvious that that little lad there has been a real sponge and soaking this up and thought about how we can apply it that's amazing brilliant
0: Natalie, thank you so much for sending that in to us. Uh, Damien, thank you so much as always. Are you enjoying the start to 2022? We've, I mean, it's been a crazy time for the podcast. We seem to be reaching more listeners than ever before.
4: I know, and it's really humbling, uh, the amount of feedback that people are kind enough to send to us and telling us how they're using it and applying it is, uh is really humbling, but really gratifying. So thank you to everybody that does that. And thank you to everybody that's kind enough to commit to listen to us.
0: Yeah, and please know that we do see all that stuff, all of those messages that you send us, the things that you share with us about how the High Performance Podcast has impacted you or changed your life, whether they're on Instagram or on email or on Twitter. We do see them all, and they are absolutely our energy source. Just a quick reminder our book is out now. You can get it in all the usual places. But if you'd like to come and enjoy a live High Performance experience, then Damien and myself and the High Performance team are going to be on tour in London, Edinburgh, Birmingham, and Manchester. Uh, the tour starts next month, actually. So if you want to join us, there are a few tickets still available. Just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. That's thehighperformancepodcast.com. And you can get tickets there. You can also join our members club, the High Performance Circle. Check out our store, buy our book. There's loads of stuff you can do there. If you want to get a bit deeper into the high performance life for 2022. Thanks a lot, Damien, as always. Top man. No, thanks, Jake.
4: Loved it. Thank you for uh, as ever.
0: Good man. Thanks as well to the whole High Performance team, to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio, to Will, Eve, Gemma, Hannah and everyone else that helps make this podcast happen. Remember, there is no secret. It's all there for you. So be your own biggest cheerleader. Make World Class Basics your calling card and we'll see you next time.
3: only from Rustolium
2: Confidence starts with loving who you are